hello friends and i want to apologize it's uh we were late because we were chatting because i was running a little bit behind i just i blame daniel and katarina because they're both awesome people that uh i just lose track of time so i blame them if they're watching it's it's uh, it's on them so uh but thanks uh thanks everybody hope you're having a great friday and welcome to the page to friday conversations we'll kick off with some introductions chris do you want to start us off i start and say my name's chris mullen sometimes youtuber sometimes guest on steve's channel and i'm here to be told off by me here for my terrible uh medical advice uh this week (laughs) 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 Uh. so last week Uh, well, uh, hi everyone. I'm my name is Mihir Wanchu. I'm part of Fantasy Book Critic. Uh, similar to Chris, I get to you know visit Steve and the wonderful Taylor for the Friday conversations, and uh, frequently hanging out on Steve's Patreon for forums as well. And definitely not here to harangue Chris or his really <laughs> bad medical advice from last week's episode. So you gotta check that out. <laughs> and Mr. Ludlow. Hi, uh, I'm Boo, and like that—that's literally what everyone calls me. Um, grandma, mom, dad, even back when I had a regular job, everyone at work. Uh, and I'm uh, publishing my debut novel in February, and I'm uh, super excited to get to know everyone here. Cool. And Dolores, hello. Don't try and take I... my job again this time. <laughs> I promise I won't. I win it anyways. <laughs> Nobody can top you, Steve. Oh, uh... cut it out. <laughs> Hello, my name is Dolores. I'm just a fellow book lover, meeting a bunch of other people that love books, talking about books, buying books, figuring out where you can put more books in your house. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do. So There's never enough space. No, never. That's why you make the space. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Taylor. <laughs> I am a co-host of Patreon with Steve, so you'll see me on these streams quite often, as well as the non-Friday conversation version of Page Chewing. Um, my channel is Made Between the Pages, which you can see below, so you can find my content there. And I'm always happy to be here. Taylor, you said that make more space with, with conviction. You said it with like you make space <laughs> yes yes you do this house is small but i find nooks and crannies <laughs> there's books besides these you know hidden in corners i'm like a little book squirrel you know they're hidden in little places that you can find so every turn of the stairs <laughs> has a time right? to, to, commem- to commemorate the, the event <laughs> right and then i just pretend that they're not going to have to move across the world ever and it's totally mm-hmm. fine to have that many Absolutely. and that's fine it's better to not even think about that until you really have to. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's my my goal. Because <laughs> obviously you've stopped buying. Huh? Obviously you've stopped buying in preparation for the move, Taylor, right? Oh, to- totally. Tell <laughs> my husband that. <laughs> if it helps, Taylor, I have a shipping recommendation for you. Is I had some folks who moved, you know, from here to India, and they literally shipped all of their furniture back to India. So it's really not expensive. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, I will be hitting you up when that time comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I also say this as I sold 40 boxes of books because my wife was like, either the books go or you or I go. So I'm like, okay, the boxes are going. 
Well, I haven't reached that moment, that ultimatum yet, but <laughs> I might. Was there a pause when the question was asked of me here on how long of a pause? <laughs> I had to pretend that it was all mental, but uh, you know, I, I'm, so, I'm stuck him out pretty quick because I was like, that is not going to be happening. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that because my husband did ask me a hype, one of those, you know, those hypothetical mm -hmm. questions that people ask and it's a trap. So he was like, if you had to get rid of all of your books or me, what would you do? And of course I paused. <laughs> That's a terrible question. And then he was like, you paused. So I'm unhappy with that answer. I'm like, don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. <laughs> That's exactly it. Or you don't want to hear pregnant pauses at that moment for those questions. Right. All right. <laughs> Honey, I love you, but I'm obsessed with those books. Yeah. Right. The I love you, but never never goes well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like they always say, if you have a sentence with a but, everything comes yeah. before the but is irrelevant to the to the next statement, you know? <laughs> So let's say hi to Shad and Kehad. Thanks for coming mm -hmm. by. And our friend, friends, Aaron and Carl. Hey, lots of familiar faces. Uh, Layla. Hey, Layla. Aiden. Skyler. Hey, Skyler. Hi, Anonymous. Lots of, lots of friends hey. tonight. Mm -hmm. Robin. Robin. Wow. Shaitu Reeds. Reeds. Hey, Deidre. That's a cool name. It's a cool name. Yeah. Go check out Deidre's channel, Shaitu Reeds. She's hilarious. Yes. Recommend it. And Dolores, I have a question for you. What's your favorite Pokemon? Oh, that's so tough. Uh, there's too many to name, but the one that's mm -hmm. on the top of my head is Charizard. I love Charizard. I even have a a shiny Charizard. Mm. I don't. I don't want to do anything to it. I just want to look at it and have it be my buddy. So I Charizard for sure. <laughs> My, <laughs> my son will love you, Dolores, because he also loves these things. It's, it's just Charizard is so cool. I mean, like, who doesn't want something that, like, you know, spits out fire? That's <laughs> true. Yeah, I definitely agree. That was that was definitely the best Pokemon to choose in the first couple games. Mm -hmm. But I have I haven't played the most recent games, but I, I've seen the characters because I teach kids, so mm -hmm. I see, you know. They all have their their paraphernalia with the <laughs> Pokemon on it, and I I don't know. I think they're running out of ideas. I hate to say it, but I'm like, what is that? <laughs> like some of the last evolutions. Yeah, they're a little weird. Yeah, I, yeah. I could not nowadays. stand the last evolutions in Sword and Shield. I think they look a bit better in this new one, but in 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 the last game, uh, no, I, I I don't understand why my rabbit's a soccer player. This feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right vibe yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. and boo tell us about your book what's what did you what made you decide to write a book what what is it about when can we expect it uh tell us about it um february probably <laughs> As, it, this is my debut novel and the very first time i've self-published so like a significant, a, a, I would say, an unfortunate amount of this process has me been go, has has been me going. Oh, it takes that long to get something done. Okay, guess we're pushing things back a little bit. That's fine. We'll work with this. Um, but yeah, I've I've loved. I think the earliest book that I remember reading is Sea of Trolls. Nancy Farmer maybe is the author. 
I remember off the top of my head, but like I've I've been obsessed with reading since then, and since a lot of like a lot of readers that eventually turned into writing, um, and finding a agent was awful. And eventually, I was like, I don't think I actually need an agent. I should just give this a try myself. Um, and 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 so that that's how I eventually went into the the self publishing direction of things and. Um, I've, I've got a few books that I'm working on and editing to, that, that I hope to get out in the next few years. But for this particular book, it started a, a conversation that I had with a friend where we were like, the, zo the zombie genre is getting pretty old and tired. How could it get interesting again? Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, my answer to that was robots eating people instead of dead people eating people. Um, or at least that sounded more interesting to me. And I'm, I'm sure there are other things that people have written or filmed out there that have robots eating people. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I hope that my own spin on it, um, that, that people end up enjoying it. So um, there's a little bit of a scattershot answer for you. <laughs> I, I, I like that uh, eating people was a very core tacit, no matter what you were thinking about doing. That was... Uh... That's... Well, yeah. Well, if, if you're going to go with zombies <laughs> and if you're going to go with horror, if people aren't getting eaten, what's even the point? Yeah. Like, it, you know, <laughs> people are missing out on stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, a fun little horror universe. I got my own space wizards in there. I call them technomancers. Um, and I'm, I'm running with the, the tried and true classic of the main character supposed to be able to do the thing and he can't at all. And so of course, a lot of people are in danger because they think that he can uh, drive off these monster robots. So chaos ensues. How big are your robots in the book, Boo? Um, are they kaiju size? Are they Terminator size? I'm just curious. They, they look they, for the most part, they look like regular people. They've, they've, they've actually got human brains in them. Um, I don't really go to, into a lot of detail in it in the story itself because it doesn't matter in the moment. But like the the the, the in-story history behind them is at some point in the future, people are like, "Why fix cancer when we can just put a human brain in a robot body that can't get sick?" Mm -hmm. And of course, it goes wrong, and a ton of people go crazy and start eating each other, and then the then the world collapses. I think you're right. This sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. That's that's a very unique premise for a book, and I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. Like I've never heard um, anything like that. I, I appreciate cool. that. Thank you. The uh, for for me, one of the hardest things so far has been figuring out marketing and advertising. People are like, "What's your how book about? about?" And I'm like, "Well, I freaking wrote the thing. I don't know how to condense 150,000 words down to a long <laughs> line." How about this? Skynet meets Hyde Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Oh, I love that. that was fun. Okay, I'm hiring you to be my marketing director. <laughs> I just the, Thomas, I the, should run first. He's coming through with the one-liners, you know. That, that that was beautiful. I love that description. How <laughs> many books are in your series? Do you know? I I have three planned out, and I'm going to try okay. really hard to keep it to a trilogy. Okay. Uh, have then, you got a name yet, Boo? The first book is called the well, the 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 name that I'd been running with the whole time I was writing it is Robot Cannibal Apocalypse, and I love that name. But every all of my my, my writing group and and all the people that I've shared the name with were like, eh, it's a bit campy. You can do it as the series name, but not as the book name. And I, I was like, okay, that that makes sense. I accept that. So so the book itself is called The Failed Technomancer. I like the first one. I have to, I have <laughs> to admit. It, 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 it's, very, it's very evocative of like, 
cult Italian kind of take on cannibal movies and on, you know, on robot movies, it kind of gives off that vibe that it's almost a pastiche or homage and smash up of a lot of the genres anyway, mm. and into something new. And I think that that title kind of gives it straight away. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I still got the series name on the cover for, for yeah. people that I think that'll catch their attention. So, cool. uh, yeah, well, it's all a, it's all a huge experiment. I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> I have no idea what will happen. I, it's like, uh, literally anything could happen and i'll be like i all right that that's how it works <laughs> well i i should say as, as far as the publishing's concerned i i do have the the story and, and 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 plot and stuff sketched out roughly to book three so that that stuff isn't up for uh too much discovery mm-hmm. the details will get filled in but i know where i want to end up you know the one good thing about publishing is that oh sorry sorry steve no 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 go ahead I was just going to say, like, you know, with self-publishing, that's the one good thing, you know, like, such a cool genre, like, it's it's such a unique plot, which you're describing. I don't know if traditional publishing would even consider it, but now with self-publishing, you can go ahead, and I'm pretty sure there's a group of people who would want to read it as well. I I literally, um, I, I don't have the Excel sheet conveniently available, but I literally had, I think, 200 agents that I, I sent out emails to, um, that, that I kept everything recorded, and <laughs> I'm still getting rejection letters, like, Six or seven months later, still getting people who be like, oh, hey, sorry, I missed your email. Not quite right for me, but like, you know, good luck. I'm like, yeah, that, that just seems to be how it goes. So, yeah. No one wants right. a butt. Thanks, Aaron. No one wants a butt, yeah. <laughs> I like a butt. But. And uh, Skylar, are you guys talk- just talking about books? I'm new to this. Uh, we tend to run the gamut, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Friday conversations are just a crapshoot. It is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Last week was a doozy. <laughs> that it was. I was told by someone on the screen to drink alcohol. Uh-huh. I remember that. <laughs> I'm I'm really curious about this poor medical advice. Like, I don't want to rehash too much. I mean, that was pretty much it. <laughs> no, the, the, the summary. The summary, boo, is I have a, a butt in the oven, and Chris said, you know, have a couple sips of whiskey is fine. And that's the summary. Okay. <laughs> I, I did also say I have no medical training, never made it at the bottom of a, of a medical journal piece or anything. So, you know, take that advice at your risk. <laughs> there was a disclaimer. <laughs> we'll yeah. give you that. I, I think that's a semi decent way to get your bun coming out singing some tavern songs. <laughs> there we go. Uh, our, was... friend, our friend Lana's here. Morning, Lana. Hey. Mm-hmm. You did have a question. Uh, will the book be under Boom Ledlow or what name otherwise? So we can find it when it's out. Yeah, it'll be under Boo Ledlow. Um, currently going for Amazon only just because I'm I'm still learning everything. Um, and it would be nice to have a wider distribution, but there's a big enough difference in royalties between doing a wide distribution or a just Amazon distribution that I was like, I, I think I'm going to stick with one platform until I build things up a little bit. Or at least it seems smart. I'll, that's also something I've yet to figure out. But I've, I, um, there's going to be print cop, there's going to be print, there's going to be ebook, and I recorded the audiobook last week. Um, I, I, I got, actually, you can... Here, here's my audio booth. You can't really see it very well because, oh wow, you know, it's a little portable <laughs> audio booth right there that uh, did everything myself and sent it off to a brother-in-law who does audio stuff. Has been studying it at college and like 
wow, I didn't realize how much work recording audio lines was. I, my throat was sore <laughs> all week long, even mm -hmm. with starting up with voice warming up and stuff. Like, <laughs> it was, it, it's yeah. a challenge. I remember when it's mm -hmm. it all about that from yeah. his podcast, mm -hmm. right? Recording short stories. Uh, I'm no good at it, but yeah. I, well, talking to uh, Travis Baldry, he makes it sound so easy. Like, oh yeah, I record like you know a book a day or whatever. It's like wow. Yeah. Well, how many pages is a book a day? Oh, I'm I'm kidding. It was uh, I don't know a couple books a week. <laughs> yeah. But he he just really like yeah I just like knock them out like no problem. It's like wow it's it's pretty it is it's a lot harder than it sounds to do it so. Well, a voice yeah, is like a, a musical instrument, mm. so you have to take care of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. We should we should have asked Baldry if he has like any any uh, tips like honey and lemon or whatever. Mm. <laughs> I think we asked him that. Yeah, he said he d he had no uh, he didn't really warm up. All right, we he did just ask kind him of that. jumped yeah, into he it said like nothing. Yeah, I just like do them like it's like oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, who's who's the guy that played Gollum in Lord of the Rings? I think he used honey and lemon Andy to help protect his voice. Andy Circus, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you can keep from destroying your throat with for using that voice with honey and lemon, mm. I think just about anything else mm. will work. Isn't he the new <laughs> butler? He's, isn't he the new Alfred? Yes. He, yes, he he, okay. in, in, he was in, in the last in movie, wasn't he? The in the Batman. I haven't seen yeah. it, but oh, the, the it's not the Cedric Diggory Batman. What's his actual name? No. Um Robert Pattinson? Yeah. Or Robert. Pattinson, as they like to yeah. call him now. Pattinson, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just that was not a sentence I ever expected here. The Cedric Diggory Batman. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we yeah, but he didn't say like Twilight either, right? We know that Twilight mm -hmm. Batman. <laughs> Which is worse, Cedric Diggory Batman or uh Edward Cullen Batman? Define mm, what, what's the, what's the parameters? The same ring. <laughs> yeah, what's the parameters of worse? Like you know, Cedric Diggory yeah. is actually going to be a nice Batman. He'll probably help oh, people in the day as well. I, that that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. He might be in different can... demographics anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I can roll in with a hot take to get that started, but I started watching that movie, the Cedric Diggory mm -hmm. back Cedric Diggory Batman movie, and uh, on the plane, and I gave up three fourths of the way through. I did not. I was I, a fan. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I was like, no, why no, is this so long? I, I, I laughed my way through that whole movie. It wasn't supposed to be funny, and I thought it was hilarious. Like, especially the moment where he jumps off the building and he's got his squirrel suit thing, and he just plows into a metal bridge, gets hit by a semi-truck, rolls, and then just stands and limps away. I'm like, this is supposed to be gritty and realistic. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't even think, I just, I, I couldn't care. I just didn't, I'm like, I'm, I get it, you're sad. Okay, and then I yeah. turned it off. So, he, he but was. I know it was popular, so. I didn't I liked it. it. I... <laughs> oh, you didn't, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, the only one, uh, Aaron, Aaron agrees, it's so bad. Yeah, it's just not. I just don't think mm -hmm. we need another Batman movie. Like, you know, there's been a really good Christian Bale Batman trilogy. There was, you know, again, not to go into the whole Snyder world of things, but there's Ben Affleck's Batman, which is a decent Batman compared to that universe. We really don't need a new Batman all over again. It's like Batman mm -hmm. is 
it's done to death. I feel like you know he should be now rested and he should be brought in for like you know group projects, but not for like a solo project. Like how many people times do you see his poor parents die? I know. People I might... it's, it's fine. I know. I, I, that's a very unpopular opinion, but it's you know. No, I, I, I was going to say people might pull out the pitchforks for this, but I feel kind of the same way about Spider Man. I've I've uh, he's been rebooted three or four times in recent mm -hmm. memory, not to mention animated mm -hmm. stuff. Like, let's, let's give the character, at, at least with Miles Morales in the Into the Spider-Verse stuff, it feels different enough. Um, mm -hmm. Still Spider-Man, still a little close, but yeah. Do we need another vi film of that, though? I mean, it was cool and fresh because it was cool and fresh, but when you do a sequel to the cool and fresh, it's not cool and fresh anymore. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. But that I, might be I, a good question for the group, though. Oh, sorry, Chris, did you want to say No, I was going to go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Killer. Okay, which is like, I'm sick of seeing the same shit over and over again, okay? Not just from Marvel and, and DC mm -hmm. and all that, but like, mm -hmm. even as someone who has a Lord of the Rings tattoo, for God's sake, I was not excited about Rings of Power because I'm like, we Lord of the Rings have been done to death. I just am not excited for this media. So I'm curious if you guys, if there's something, whether it be obscure or a popular series, either way, what do you want to see on the big screen? What, what, what do you wish and hope for? If we, if we take for granted that it'll be made well, let's imagine it's made well. <laughs> what would you want to see? Joe Abercrombie's first question. law, just because it's fun and it's, it can be made a little bit cheaper. It's not, it doesn't have dragons. It doesn't need extra magic. I think it'll, and plus it has a decent amount of fan base that, it will be behind. Plus, there's so many cool lines, right? So many people will just love. Or Mark Lawrence's books, like Mark Lawrence's, uh, you know, the books of the Ancestor trilogy with Grey Sister and all of that. That'll be, you know, murder nuns, you know, a girl wanting to become like a cool warrior, and ice just approachingly. I think that's that's that gets my word. Absolutely, you the book of the Ancestor, Mark Lawrence's mm -hmm. battle scene. When I was reading them, I was like, I'm reading a movie. This yes. needs to be on the screen and right? directed well. Yes, absolutely. I second that. Mm -hmm. of, of the stuff I'm looking at on my list, I actually think Jim Butcher's Aeronaut Windlass could could generally genuinely turn into something really solid. Like it's mm -hmm. it's got elements of stuff that would make it probably easy to pitch to a studio because you'd be like, oh, it's uh, kind of got an arcane not not exactly, but like kind of gritty fantasy feel to it, and they'd be like, oh, the kids love that, but it's still fresh enough and different enough that that you could still make something genuinely interesting in it. Straddles both sides just a little bit, I think. I, I still don't think epic fantasy has really been done well. I mean, Lord of the Rings is something, but that kind of magic wielding and sort of thing is not really saturated, and certainly the movie or um, or TV world in the same way. Like, Lord of the Rings sort of that high fallacy, which is, you know, the tribes and the elves and the, you know, that that, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, but that kind of real magic wielder and power thing. Like, it doesn't even come across, and I think it's one of the problems with the Wheel of Time series, you know, you still don't even get a sense of it in that, and is that these magic wielders can literally blast everything in front of them or, or have control of, of the whole world around them. So, yeah, I still think there's room for it to go. Taylor, I want to cheat, just because I see behind you another trilogy, which I really love, the Lycanius trilogy. I think that would make a great TV show. That would make like really great TV just for three whole epic seasons. And plus it does, and never mind, it's a spoiler, so I won't, I won't talk about it. <laughs> there's, like, yeah. there's, like a, there's like a huge spoiler in it, which I can't tell. 
this is what this is that moment where I say I'm a I'm a fake booktuber. I haven't read those yet. <laughs> but <laughs> I've read most of the stuff on the shelf, but you pick the one series in shot Sorry. that I haven't Sorry. read. But I really do want to get to it, so that's that's a good sign if it would make. I love those movie. books, and they're they're like Robert Jordan, but if Robert Jordan was concise, and he finishes the story <laughs> in three books, and it's so incredible, mm. just so incredible, incredible. But I'm par- I'm biased that way. Mm-hmm. One of yeah, one of my maybe. Guilt- Go ahead. Go ahead. Buddy. I was just going to say one of my guilty fantasy nerd confessions is I, I can't finish Wheel of Time. Every time I get to book three or four and I'm like, just finish, dude. You, you could cut three or four hundred pages out of this, please. If it makes you feel better, I haven't even attempted it. So you're, you're probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> Watch the TV show. For the people, for the people who love spending three pages of navel gazing or reading a description of a building like you're gonna it, it's perfect it. um are we are we talking about stephen king or wheel of time <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry i couldn't help it i'm hurt i am hurt like i totally agree in one hand and totally disagree in the other <laughs> even though i i get i get the point you're completely making i don't know i just want to say hi to my friend lady jane books thanks for coming by jane I'm sorry, Taylor. No, no, no. No, I was just saying to answer my own question, um, two come to mind. One is like if I imagine a big epic, like Hollywood does big battle scenes, I would say Evan Winters, mm. uh, Rage, of Rage of Dragons, because mm-hmm. there's so much battle in that. I feel like it would really lend itself to that avenue. But I would say just in general to be adapted, the Greenbone saga if it's done well, Ooh, yeah. because it's got so many twisty turns. I think no mm-hmm. one talk about subverting expectations. I think <laughs> there would be a lot of things that would shock mm-hmm. people um, and it would be a great trilogy. So that final book is phenomenal. So. Yep. Fonda Lee just hurts you the best way possible. <sighs> I'm still hurting. <laughs> I finished it over like a year ago. It's so good. <laughs> And also, she's a she's a black belt herself, so her like dueling Ooh. scenes are mm-hmm. fantastic. Again, like reading a, a movie. Thing, so, what about you, book. Dolores? What's what's your uh, your series that you'd like to see adapted? Mm, I would like. I know Ender's Game. There's the that particular movie, mm-hmm. but I would love to see the other books in this series to come to a movie screen near me. I just, because sometimes when you read books, you're trying to like visualize what these creatures look like. And you're like, okay, I kind of see it this way. And I would, I just would love to see somebody else's take and rendition of what they thought some of the characters looked like or how they were perceived. So I would like to see Ender's Game, um, past Ender's Game. Cause I mean, there's quite a few books in that series. <laughs> I'd get very excited for a speaker of the dead movie. I know that's the one I would love to see because it's like, how do you picture these creatures and they're living on a planet and they're, yeah, it, it was just, it was strange. And I'm like, I would love to just see how it would all play out because you can only, like, you can imagine it, but it's like, I'd want to see it like live action in front of me. So. I'd also like Speaker of the Dead specifically more than the others, because I, I definitely read that series attached to Ender a lot more than the other characters. And you get a 
unfortunately, a lot of the sequel Ender books start focusing on periphery characters a lot more than him. And uh, you get you get yeah. a bit more in, in, in Speaker for the Dead than the following than the follow up ones. Yeah, and it, it's true. Like they start to focus on Bean and and whatnot. But yeah, the Speaker of the Dead was just you know it's kind of like whoosh. Like it really, I still to this day think about it and try to like figure out what it all meant. So yeah, that would be my choice. The interesting one for me is for, when the remake or the do make 40k, Warhammer 40k, mm -hmm. that, that series is going to be really hard not to be ridiculous. You know, it's going to be really hard to play it straight enough, but also fun enough without it tipping over the edge to being Look at the size of this armor. How can anybody walk in this stuff or, you know, just to fly in this? Like, what, what is happening here? It, it, it's going to be very, very hard to straddle that, you know. Mm -hmm. But there's some really good stories and, and uh, the tribe aspect and the, all the, is really fascinating. And in that world, and it could be awesome. If they get the tone right, it mm -hmm. could be really amazing. I got a friend that got into Warhammer not that long ago, and I was I was very surprised to learn from him at, at how much depth of story and, and world building mm -hmm. there is in this this wargaming hobby. He he's he's definitely the guy. He describes it as his plastic crack. He's got a whole room dedicated to mini figures that he paints, um, and 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 then and then spends too much time talking to friends about. There's a really interesting story about this particular one. <laughs> uh, dude, I don't I don't need a two hour description of one book, but thank you. And Aaron asked, uh, anyone watched the interview with the Vampire Show? Pretty good. Now they're doing Mayfair Witches. I haven't seen that. I've heard mixed yeah, things, but hope to check it out eventually. Anyone else uh, watch that one? No. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's available here yet. There was some talk about it a while ago why it's not here, but I don't think it is available yet. Hmm. Not that that would stop anybody watching it, but still. <laughs> I still remember the original movie with Tom Cruise and mm. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that was kind of badly done well not badly done. it was just okay so plus vampires after true blood i don't really want to i don't know if you guys are tired of vampires but i think after watching true blood i was like i'm i'm done and dusted with vampires mm. hmm. most vampires i'm bored of but taika watiti brought me back with what we do in the shadows hmm. <laughs> mostly well, because a different you genre, right? anything funny and i don't care how tired the stuff in it is used if i'm laughing i'm having a good time mm -hmm. i don't know buffy for life <laughs> if if they had to like redo Buffy, is there a specific Buffy you'd want to see to replace Michelle? No, nope, just bring Sarah Michelle Geller back. I'll be happy enough. I'll, I'll just go along for the ride. I, I I read fantasy books. I can project and and imagine stuff that isn't even there. It's it's it's, it's fine. I uh -huh. could. Uh, hmm. I could just get them to do more of that with exactly the same characters. Like even twenty years later, those characters all grown up could be amazing. Mm -hmm. Could be so much fun. Uh, Skylar asked, "Have any have any of you all watched the show Wyona Earp? I really liked it. Only got four seasons though. I haven't seen that one. Mm -mm. Never even heard of it, to be honest. I've kind of heard of it, but I've never seen it. It's like a." western yeah kind of a spin on it mm -hmm. uh carlos hoping the dark tower series goes well i didn't know there was going to be a dark tower series when did that get announced uh, not only is there going to be a dark tower series but mike flanagan is doing the dark tower yeah series, which is by far and away the most exciting part of that that announcement 
Stephen King finally gave him the rights because it's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, yeah. Mike Flanagan did Midnight Mass. Am I getting he that did, right? He did mm-hmm. indeed. Yeah. Hunt, Hunt, okay. Okay. This could be well. pretty fun, though. Uh, I, I think Midnight Mass is one of the greatest things I've seen over the past five, ten years. I just think it's utterly phenomenal. And his first line, you know, is like he he wants to adapt it as the books are. Like you know, yeah. the gunslinger is chasing the man in black across the desert landscape. That's his opening scheme. So I'm like, okay, that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, that could be amazing. I know this is gonna not just not gonna go over well, but I don't think you can adapt the Dark Tower. I don't think Flanagan can do it either. Why do you say that, Steve? I think it's too bonkers to adapt. You'd have to. <laughs> You'd have to really water it down. You'd have to make some major changes. It well, it can be adapted. It, I just think it. You'd have to make a lot of changes. If you don't mind, when you say it's too bonkers to adapt, are, are there any particular elements that that you're thinking of? I, I'm just curious. It would be spoiler territory, but it's the fourth book. Oh, okay, that's fair. But like that's what people said about the Lord of the Rings before Lord of the Rings was made, right? Like because they they did they did the animated movie in back in the 70s. And then every time people mm-hmm. like Lord of the Rings cannot be made because it's just so wet. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not doubting you, but I'm also saying like you know maybe we can give Mike Flanagan a chance. Worst case scenario, we'll be like, oh yep, it just flamed and it, it was too bad. But maybe he might surprise us. I'm just desperately wishing because I want more content than not Westeros and not Rings mm-hmm. of Power. I just want something else different than that. There's so many other worlds to be explored yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. HBO just thinks that fantasy is just George R. R. Martin. That's it. No more fantasy. It's just George R. R. Martin and. The world he has created, so that's why. And and Game of Thrones isn't very fantasy either. Like mm-hmm. it's there are certainly fantastical elements to it. Like it's it's almost like one of those things. I've got this show and I'm gonna put dragons in it, and therefore that sort of makes it fantasy, you know, just by virtue of having dragons in it. And to me, that's not enough. Well, you mentioned the a cartoon version of Lord of the Rings and stuff. I think fantasy has yet to be well, I, I would say Lord of the Rings trilogy is one of the only times where it took itself seriously and mm. therefore other people took it seriously, you know, was actually invested in <laughs> and made a believable world. Whereas not that um, animated is lesser, but it's not viewed as adult as much as, you know, a, a live adaptation would be. So I think taking itself seriously is something fantasy really hasn't done outside of, you know, Westeros or... Mm. you know Tolkien's world so and it would take a lot of investment you know I know you know t- just talking about big names Brando Sando you know has talked about Mistborn, Mistborn. and there's talks and all of that but that's going to take a lot to make that adaptation feel not campy <laughs> I, I think you know? it's incredibly unfortunate at how and I agree with you animation is amazing and unfortunately it doesn't get the street cred that it should and like for me personally I would kill to see an animated uh, Stormlight Archives. I, I know that they're that I know that Sanderson himself personally really badly wants all his stuff to be live action, but like I don't know. Just just imagine how gorgeous a nicely stylized um, Wheel of Time or not Wheel of Time, sorry, uh, uh, Stormlight Archives could be, and like you wouldn't have to ever worry about the character, the actors aging out of the characters or whatever. If it if it takes to forever to to, to produce a movie. Um, all the fantastical elements would fit in so easily without risking feeling campy or hokey or or being like, oh, that terrible CGI. Oh, no, what happened? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think there needs to be more mega epic uh, and animated. Uh, if, if Avatar can get cred, though, for being a sort of live action 
simile, but animated, then Stormlight can do it as well. It just takes a lot of money. But yeah, if, not everyone's got the, the pockets of James Cameron. Yeah. But if Mistborn is widely successful, there's a pretty decent chance. I mean, I think Mistborn has that gritty world that people like. You know, what so. a lot of people like about Westeros, I'm, I'm imagining, or what I've heard from people, is that it's dark and gritty and doesn't feel like fantasy, you know? So I think marketing-wise, Mistborn might be good because it's a dark, desolate, you know, place. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Which seems kind of sad, but... Yeah, it has a bit for everybody as well because there's romance in it, there's magic in it, there's mystery in it, there's, you know, there's just, it kind of ticks a lot of boxes from a lot of genres rather than just being one specific thing. Plus, it's also the cool, it's a cool thing, right? Like the Dark Lord won. That's the, yeah. the tag of the first Mistborn yeah. book. Like, thousand years later, right. the Dark Lord has won. What happens next? That's what the premise is. Right. Right. Plus, a heist is a pretty easy story to get just about anyone into. Yeah. Right. I'm always down for a heist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I've, I've already said this hot take a million times on my channel, but I think Era 2 is better than Era 1. So I think that the, the heist characters in Era 1 are not for me. I don't like their I, group I dynamic. I love Waxing Wing to Death. Care. We'll always read yes. Era 2 over Era 1. I'm, I'm with you. Thank there. God I'm not alone. Like, That's oh, rare, usually. I, uh, <laughs> I just about died. I loved the the first. They, they're all really good, but I, I just loved the first book in Era One. I loved Miles as a villain. I loved Wayne was hilarious. I thought it was a beautiful evolution of a world that I already loved. Um, it, so I I might not have had as much enjoyment if I hadn't read Era One. But but with the with the history of Era One, for me, Era Two eclipses it easily. Amen. I'm with you. Well, we're going to be fighting the masses on that forever, but I'm with you. That's all right. I, I, I got a tiny pitchfork. I can wave it. I, I, I do have a fear about the adaptation of Era 1 that Vin is basically just going to turn emo. You know, I, I think they're going to find it really <laughs> hard to resist Vin not being emo at some stage. And at that point, it's going to be like, again, here, you've broken the tone of this. This isn't right. Hair over her eye. It's not a face, yeah, exa Dad. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> piercings you know tattoos <laughs> calling me out there <laughs> just, I, I feel just saying. <laughs> yeah that was, that was a good chunk of my life right there <laughs> i say as i started the, the topic but <laughs> oh, dear. a lot of fantasies being made into graphic novels i don't read graphic novels so i'm not the, I'm just looking at the comment. I'm not aware of that. Yeah. There's not a lot, right? There's only Game of Thrones was the last thing I heard was being adapted into graphic novels. Isn't The Witcher as well? Isn't mm. it? They get an illustrated comic editions as well, I believe. I haven't read either of them, though, to be fair. Don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure, yeah. There's a, there's a ton of graphic novels, though, that um, I guess the, I wonder if that format is easier to get published i don't know if it would be or not it doesn't, doesn't seem like graphic novels and comics make a whole lot of money so mm -hmm. it may not be the best choice but before uh before we went live the the back in the backstage in the backstage there was some talk over about you all bonded about rocks i didn't catch the <laughs> the whole conversation but i'll let boo take this first because it was it was himself that brought it up 
Oh, uh, we, we, we were talking about uh, strange things that relatives collect and, and how mm -hmm. much of a hassle that can be when they got to move or pass on. And, and of course, I immediately thought of my grandma, who obviously I love to death, but she has a literal tonnage of just rocks. Just rocks, meaning they're, they're not geodes, they're not agates, they're not the fancy rocks that, that a lot of people get excited about. They're literally just rocks that she found in her backyard or that she put in her suitcase while on vacation, collected over the decades. And like, you know, someday we, we'd love for, well, she wouldn't love to live forever. You know, she's old and not very comfortable, but we know it's not gonna happen. She's gonna pass eventually. And then what do you do? You feel bad throwing away grandma's rocks but you don't want to fill your house with grandma's rocks. <laughs> rocks are on heavy and we, and we like a relative that like to turn rocks into bees. Yeah, that's true. So I said, like, you'll not find, you'll find this hard to believe, but my mother-in-law is also a rock collector just, and she had so many rocks that we started collecting them for and housing them in our house. And in fact, it was when I was moving my, uh, my office around about, about a year ago, I realized that I had literally a, like a chest wooden chest full of rocks and i said you know what can we actually just get rid of these like i mean they have literally sat underneath my desk for about the past four or five years and she's not painting bees or ladybirds or anything on them anymore can we just say that we lost the rocks well depending <laughs> on how nice that chest is what you really should do is go bury it somewhere and then with your will have a little treasure map ah. and then everyone finds the rocks and they're like what <laughs> what, what are you doing chris yeah, bury bury the rocks, but bury something with them, like to just like something. I don't know, something like a little a little bit of interest that somebody will go, "What is this?" in a hundred years ago, like an old book. But I think it actually has no meaning. Yeah, like, like <laughs> given the, given them eye of the world, <laughs> and the last book, and none rocks. of them in between. Like I think you're probably doing somebody a big favor there. <laughs> Oh, that would be the most confusing thing to find. Yeah, wouldn't it be good for? <laughs> somebody would be trying to make sense of why would somebody do this? Though there has to be a reason why somebody would bury all these rocks with these two books. <laughs> the question, though, Boo, is: Can your grandmother tell you where she got them at this point, or is it has it just amassed into one big collection? Like, you know, is she like, oh, I got that one when I was in France, and that one when I, you know, went on um, a hiking trip, or? She says that she knows where she, they're not officially labeled or categorized anything. She'll tell you that she knows where you got them. But like af after, after talking about five gray rocks in a row that look exactly the same, you start to wonder how well she actually is able to recognize them or whether or not she's just, you know, remembering and deciding that this rock is this memory today. <laughs> it, it, it's actually really <laughs> Are you a, a rock collector, Dolores? You you collect rocks. <laughs> you know what? I do like to collect That's rocks. See. Just your delivery. Just your delivery. I know, but I'm not going to have as many rocks <laughs> as Boo's grandma. Like I have, I have a couple. They're like pretty, and they're just they sort of talk to you like take me home you're so i'm so pretty you'll love me so i do have rocks but not like a lot of rocks not yet at least <laughs> not yet. no just during the conversation i just see this big grin on your face like you like you can relate somehow so i thought maybe, maybe yeah. Those, yeah maybe you have rocks 
Yeah, I do. I have some rocks. Um, I actually gave away one of the rocks. I wanted to keep it. But so I was at, I'm going to tell you my story. I was at the park one day and someone had painted this really cool rock with like little minions on it. And it said, you know, you know, here, love this rock and you can share it and tag it on Twitter or whatever. So, um, I found it and I didn't want to give it away. I wanted to keep it, but we ended up myself and my boyfriend, we, we gave it to somebody else at one of our raves. And so I have no idea where this rock is, but it's floating out there somewhere um, with some other raver, but it was just cool looking I'll You know what? I have a picture of it. I'll post it on the page Chewy page on the forum. So you could see this rock. Cause it was really a pretty rock. <laughs> so that's they, my rock story. Did they ask for the rock or did you give them the rock? No, it was like, you're supposed to share the rock with other people oh, okay. and you can like take pictures of it and tag it. So you can kind of see where it's like progress because I guess the artist behind these painted rocks, mm. like shares rocks all over the place. And it was just in a really weird place in the park. It was next to the park sign. And I'm like, what is that? Should I touch it? What, it, what is it? I mean, what if it's somebody's rock? I don't want to take somebody's rock. <laughs> and I ended up taking the rock, but I did share it. So it, it had a good, it had a good ending. So, but I will post a picture of that, of the rock. In, are in you the, sure, are you sure that wasn't one of those like prank things that somebody brings a rock and says, well, tell the story made, you know, this rock has made it all the way from China and is now in the 70th person and they give it to you, you say, and it's a very valuable and you've got to pass it on and they've just I created know. this whole thing, right? You just never know, right? <laughs> this goes back to the whole like philosophy. I've been reading about philosophy, about uh, dis 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 discount and his idea of is this real? Is this not real? How do I know that there's a God? Is there a, an evil demon that's putting these thoughts in my head? I was just like, where does this philosopher get this weird stuff from? It was just so, you know, all like, how do I know about this rock? Is it really true? Is this, can I, is this not my senses like messing with me? Like that really isn't a rock. I don't know. It's just real strange thing. <laughs> Sorry, I've been having these philosophical like discussions in my head lately. Like, what? Do people really have questions about evil demons? I swear you can you can Google this, like evil demon. Like he thought an evil demon was was creating deceit in his head. And like he didn't know if it was real or not real. It was like this guy from the 1600s was having a, a Neo moment in the Matrix. Like, is this really a dream or not? Super strange. D this I, I is wild. If that guy had traveling rock, it would start talking to him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, but he would probably say, you know, the evil demon is being deceitful. So I don't know if that rock is real. Like, my senses might be deceiving me. Seriously, this was the things that were going through his head. Like, deceit and is that real? Is that really real? Am I in a dream? Mind-blowing well, stuff this, here. That's a concept a lot of a lot of people still struggle with. <laughs> yes, like or not, like you know, like yeah. So, mm -hmm. how do you know the if matrix. you're not dreaming? Yeah, like how do you mm -hmm. know if you're not dreaming? But if you're really in a dream, would you want to wake up from the dream? I, I was just the sitting there, like, okay. The way the world is, yes, it's about 
if this is a dream, yeah. we really have to change the definition of a dream altogether. <laughs> and if it's a dream, right. how do you get out of the dream? And do you want to get out of the dream? I just have to shout out yeah. a book this is reminding me of, which is a song for the void. This is a Spinfo yes. eight uh, finalist, so I can't like talk details about my thoughts about it, but I can shout it out. I adored mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, I'm not. I can't. I don't know where it's going to end up in the you know final results or anything. But as personally for me, even though I'm a judge, I adored this book, and it talks about that, like mm-hmm. what is real and does it matter mm-hmm. if it's real, really? You know, uh-huh. it's so good. Similarly, finished finished this week. Do Andre's Dream of, of Electric Sheep is exactly all of those themes in it as well, and actually has about rocks. Where do the rocks come from? In in the world, <laughs> it's it's completely bizarre. Yeah, where do the rocks come from? Like, whoa, uh, mind blowing, right? Sure. Who would have thought like rocks would spur on these conversations? And we're all looking at our navels and going like, wow, there's a lot of lint in my navel right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what the philosophers do, right? Put a little check, right? <laughs> well, I gotta clean that out sometime. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then they have these epiphanies, like, oh, is this a dream? <laughs> There's definitely a question in my head now. Are the five of you actually real? I only ever t- tune in at the same time on a Friday night and see the same faces. Like maybe they don't exist outside of this. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I, I hate to no. break it to you, Chris, but literally everyone here is being simulated by an AI. Like you're, you're just talking. <laughs> there, there is. Chat GPT seems to be able to do everything right now. This is definitely a possibility at this stage. I now we're getting into who asked Chat GPT to write him a story, a short, a six-page short story. Literally every paragraph said the exact same thing, but worded differently. And after reading through that thing, I was like, I'm not nearly as scared of this crap as everyone else is. It, it's not as smart as people think. Sure, admittedly, that was one example, but like. Yeah, so far. So far. Well, I, I also do think, like I have thoughts on this. If you're writing can't beat a program at this stage, and for, even for the next five years, how good a writer are you really? You know, if there's not inherent value in, in your craft, if you think, like, I haven't read your book, Boo, but I'm sure you spent a lot of time crafting, thinking about it, changing it, you know, manipulate, molding it. You know, it goes through multiple iterations. And literally you're telling me that, that an AI program is going to be able to do in one draft or otherwise something that's, like, even tangibly good. I, it just doesn't seem... I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you there. If, if, if your writing is on a level where an AI is matching you currently, um, I think you said this already, but you basically think like a robot and I I don't think it's going to, it's going to catch a lot of positive attention anyway. Yeah. And the same thing goes for the art as well. I know a lot of artists, et cetera, are very worried about this, but again, if, if you're making covers for a living and it just looks like an AI. Then it's not doing its job, which was to stand out and catch the eye anyway. If it looks like something else, it's not, you know, it's not inherently doing what was set out to do. Sure, you can pick color schemes that, that work and do all of that kind of stuff, but you know, I feel yeah. Felix Ortiz cover stands out. Well, and like you know, Mel it looks like Felix Ortiz cover, you know. And 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 depend and it depends on how much work you're willing to put into it, but like yeah. Sure, you can you can put you can put some text in, in into a program and have it spit out a cover for you. But like, 
Yeah. I mean, depending on the person you hire, the person you hire can do market research for you, can uh, make sure that you're going to uh, fit everything properly, is going to make sure that the font on the book is going to look good, that the organization of the text is going to be good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like it, that, that's so much more than just getting a weird looking kind of pretty picture spat out in a few seconds. It's, it's definitely worth the value. And I, I think people forget about that. H humans are always going to be able to offer a service that a computer can't. I, I completely agree. So I'll just offer like a slightly different narrative with this. I, I don't, I'm not, dis, I'm not uh, negating any of what you have told because you know that the human tendency for art is going to be unmatched. But what I think the AIs and people who are looking for profits are going for is they're going for quick bucks. They're going for something which can be made cheap, easy, just be slapped on. And a lot of artists, and just to give Felix an example, Felix is a fantastic artist. You know, he's mm -hmm. a lovely person. He's a fantastic artist. I think of him as he's a friend. But he's also on the expensive side, right? Like, so if somebody, if I, let's sure. just say, if I were to write a book, literally, if I didn't know Felix and I were to write a book, I probably couldn't afford him, which is not to yeah. say that that's a bad thing. That's a good thing for him because he's making a living, which he mm -hmm. needs to be. But, and so I think what these people who are making these AIs are going for is they're going for something like, so people who can just, who want to buy something for like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and probably keep on getting it. That's what they're going for. Maybe 10 years down the line, maybe AIs can become even. And of course, I say that's the eventual question, right? What happens when AIs become like Skynet becomes activated? So that's the kind of thing which I hope it, I hope never happens. But generally speaking, I think that's that's what these people who are making these programs are going for, just to kind of make money. That's all there is to it. I mean, somebody somewhere had a genuine intent, but right now it's being generated like how much can we push it until it starts making money for us? That's I yeah. think what they're going for. They don't they don't really care about the artist. They don't really care yeah. for the art. They're just there well, to make fun. You're, you're completely right. And because it's so focused on the quick buck, at, at least in my opinion, that actually protects the artists because like you're, you're basically creating a completely different market at that point for the, for the people who want a legit artist and who want the work that a legit artist can do, uh, if they can afford it, they're going to go pay for that. And, and they're going to recognize that what you get out of an AI generator, I mean, you're getting 50 bucks out of an AI generator. We'll see how far that goes for you. But like, it, it, it's just two completely different kinds of services. What on our recent page doing with Baldry, I don't know if this is what Steve is going to bring up, but um, he had a really interesting point about this, which is that people are trying to make a quick book or make art quicker, where he's saying, take those ideas and put them towards something where it should be made quicker which is not art. <laughs> so art should take time. It's a process. It, you know, it has a lot involved with it. So he made a really good point of take those skills and make a program artists can use rather than a program to replace yeah. artists, which I thought was a really interesting take on that. Somebody had a meme on Somebody had a meme on Twitter, which was like, you know, in the in the olden movies, the idea was that, you know, you would make AIs would, or robots would be made so that the menial work could be taken care of by them and people could do what they wanted, which is focus on art or what they want to do. But now people are creating these things to kind of create art, but they, they won't still do it for the menial task. They still want you to do all of them. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of just, I, I don't know, it was, a, it was really funny on, uh, on Twitter. I'm probably not paraphrasing it well enough. Yeah, when you think of a lot of 50s sci-fi when they were making that kind of stuff, it was all home automation, the kind of tasks that you didn't want to do at the house, which is ironing, washing dishes, all of that kind of stuff would be done by robots or home helps. Uh, and then you could lounge about and do it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. 
Uh, whereas, you know, automation is probably doing something very different, I'd say, in modern society in, in, in a lot of uh, aspects. But I think the human element and the creativity element or the the skill element, like for think of anybody's jobs in this in this room think of how many years training within it and you start the job and you're working the job for five years you're a completely different operator and professional in in that, in that area so actually having skills is one thing but actually having experience and reflection and all that kind of stuff comes into it and uh i, I don't think a computer certainly at this stage is, is at that stage where it can approximate that 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 growth um, this, a, this is all making me think of the rise of uh, of, of uh, AI chess. Uh, watched a watched a really uh, in, interesting little documentary on that a little while ago of, of uh, uh, computers being able to play chess scared people uh, in, in that community for a few decades. Uh, that there were even a, f a few computers that won like worldwide mm -hmm. grand tournaments at times, but the but no matter. Or at least to my memory, I'm not an expert on this, but like no matter how good the computer was, it still never could think outside the box like a human could. It, it they're they're only capable with working with whatever they exactly have. They can't create novelty, which yeah. which is always going to be the the realm of human experience. Or at least I I don't think we're going to hit get to the point where a computer can truly be. I, I don't think it's possible to get a computer truly uniquely creative it can only work with what it's already programmed with or whatever's been already plugged into it there was the example of um in gaming terms so open ai was or still is a a program that they made to approximate playing online computer games right and what they used to do we used to wheel it out every year and say this is a new iteration of this and they would put increasingly hard challenges against it so they would get some high level players etc to play against it in isolation and they would stomp it and the things that were beating it on was kind of reaction time that kind of thing the things that computers can do and approximate much faster but it stopped one year when they actually put it against a, a, one of the top 25 teams in the world of people that play together a lot and it was the biggest non-contest there ever was and we never seen or heard from it again at that point because for all of the thousands and millions of matches that it played, it had a cap and a level that it could get to. And at that point, it was beat by ingenuity and creativity. And it couldn't think outside the box and it wasn't constantly evolving. It needed inputs and it wasn't getting enough of those matches or inputs to ever grow. So actually, that whole software has turned into basically doing and automating better ways for those people to train now and to train against and, and, and react and skill now rather than actually ever being pushed as a competitive alternative, if that makes sense. So it, I think that's a pretty good example of, of where that AI technology is at the moment. Hmm. But does it learn, does it learn by itself? Does it learn on its own? Like when it fails, does it get better? So, so it, it, it does need fail states. So it needs to learn at mechanically how it does so it, it constantly replays games like kind of background because it doesn't have to sleep but can just do thousands and thousands and thousands of games and mechanically work out how to not die or mechanically work out how to do but it, it also can't sense creative solutions to, to how it's attacked or approached because it doesn't see that enough or it's never done in exactly the same way or, or things like that you know it can only it can only do what its inputs and its fields are and there isn't enough of that and that, that game already is like that if that makes sense and that every year there are new techniques there are new approaches and that's how those teams progress and win so it's only at that that tournament once a year that that happens so the time the next year comes around 
the techniques of the reason last year. Everybody can beat those. Like it's it's not it's not just the top players in the world can beat everybody's seen at that stage, etc. So it, it can't it hasn't got the creativity or the ingenuity to create or, or, or from nothing and therefore will always be be behind the curve. The this this talk's really making me uh uh think about the the Dune universe and and as as absolutely bonkers as a lot of that is, I I, I think Frank Herbert really hit the nail on the head that that the the, the dangers of relying entirely on on computers or or in a modern sense AI or whatever, and and also the the human capacity to to, to totally overcome, um, and and how if we use that as a supporting tool, like you were mentioning with the uh, with, with with the with the training stuff there, then then it can it can really to an interesting and exciting level maximize human achievement. But if you try to use it to to replace human achievement, you're you're inevitably going to plateau, and then you know with with plateau comes stagnation, and with stagnation comes failure and Etc. 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 Taylor, you have to. We understand you have to. You have to run because you have uh, a life yes, to live. Yes, I have. I have work. <laughs> no. I have work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I have a hard out, you know, on these, unfortunately. But I do want to just make one comment before I go, which is something that Boo just said, which is the idea that stagnation is failure is such a Western way of thinking, and that's something that really has struck me living in Japan for as long as I have. So I want to leave you guys with that thought. Like, is stagnation failure or is that a Western way of viewing the world? I say as someone who comes from the West originally, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. um, I'll, leave, I'll leave that with you guys. But I got to go to work. It was great to meet you, Boo, and, and Dolores and everyone. And I'll, I'll talk to yeah. you guys. Bye, Taylor. Take, no, care, take care. Bye. Bye. Fun. I had no idea Taylor was in Japan. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. her, her day is just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> 16 um, hours right 16 hours ahead of us close to yeah I think from so. Macron. to to jump on her question i i think it, it depends on how you define stagnation on whether or not it counts as failure because I, I don't i don't think that there's anything wrong with i don't know exactly what she's referring to because i'm not super familiar with the eastern tradition but mm -hmm. like or at least when i imagine stagnation i imagine that you like you're not trying anymore you're, you you there, there's 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 no room there's no room for growth or improvement and growth and improvement doesn't always have to be upward. It can be sideways, improving your breadth mm -hmm. of experience. Um, so e even if you're not moving upward, but you're moving sideways, I could see some people defining that as stagnation and being good. Um, so you're saying those are some random thoughts. So Boo, you're saying basically the perspective matters, right? Yeah. It's all about perspective. Uh, there's a fascinating thing about Hindu mythology. Uh, I'm sorry to go on this channel. But which kind of talks about this whole concept of stagnation because in hindu mythology the way it works is that everybody's lives we are all reincarnating right we are constantly reincarnating and they have this cycle of reincarnation and so in that case looking just looking at the patient the, the world population all of us are stagnating right because we haven't you know the population is increasing which technically means that the souls aren't escaping the whole life birth and death cycle but if enough souls escape, that's when the cycle, that's what the concept of nirvana comes in because you, the hope is that the soul escapes this cycle and then achieves nirvana, which is where, I don't know what exists or where it's supposed to be, but that's, that's there. So stagnation in that sense would also mean that, you know, you are alive, but are you truly stagnant? <laughs> See, the dog was agrees. <laughs> I was just Sorry, checking. Sorry, it's, it's my, it's my alarm, it's my security system.
Oh, I can tell your security system is very passionate about this topic. <laughs> oh, they are. They are very passionate about it. They will bark at anything <laughs> that upsets their world. <laughs> like stagnation, how dare you? Yeah. I know, but I mean, the stagnation, is it like coming from destruction or is it just like what we, we what you, you think of as stagnation, right? It's just a, a plateau. But some people mm -hmm. like to just be at that plateau, right? Like they're content where they're at. Uh, they don't yeah. strive to want mm -hmm. to go to that next level, right? And I don't know if that's where they're comfortable, then that's that's where they're comfortable, right? But Maybe I guess in the West we're always trying to one up each other, or we want to be, you know, if you're not first, you're last, right? Like Ricky Bobby says. So um, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it is a total cultural thing, right? Like we shouldn't be set stagnant. We should be constantly trying to evolve and go up. But I kind of like your point, Boo, that maybe it's not about going up, but like expanding you know, with uh, like a horizontal way, right? Like really becoming a, an expert at it and not necessarily just being like a jack of all trades, right? You just keep jumping up, but like really understanding what it is that you're talking about. So I don't know, that's my two cents. Yeah. It's a sort of generational thing, I think, cause it's, uh, I have this conversation with my dad, you know, who's obviously a number of years older than me, 30 years, whatever, older than me. And he can't get over the concept that you could be in employment and not strive to be the top boss. You know, he, he just yeah. can't get around that idea. And that even though he knows, and he'd have a go at me all the time for saying, th for things like, you st should stop devoting much, so much time to your job. It's, it's, it's you know, it's ha having a cost on you, etc. But he also at the same breath is going, but you should be going for the promotion or you should be doing a lot. And he just can't, Get that a lot of modern society is is accepting that, that work is for to support living and not the the purpose of living in, in a lot of a lot of ways and, and that actually a lot of people in modern society realize right i'm at a comfort level here i can get good fulfillment out of my working life but also to get fulfillment out of other parts of my life and i do think he he definitely struggles with that even though he understands it because i think it's that drive when he was a young man or otherwise to kind of keep on pushing mainly because i would say the opportunities for learning the opportunities for advancement when he was a younger man just weren't there mm -hmm. in this in the same levels that, that maybe many of us have it's mm -hmm. it's a definitely very cultural thing as well. We have this we have this lot back in like in India as well when I was growing up. Like because like you mentioned, Chris, you know, there's there's very little opportunities and there's a lot more people. So it was that you had to strive, you had to strive, you had to strive because you can I, I feel like you can only afford or stagnation can be afforded when there is a society with which is where scarcity is rare in itself. Because if there's scarcity all around, then stagnation is actually detrimental to your survival, so as to speak. Mm -hmm. Damn it, Taylor. And you look at the other side of you look at everybody here that's on the call here, started off reading fantasy books or or, or otherwise they're experiencing stories and kind of thought, I want to branch out and do more to explore this. So you end up kind of starting blogs or coming and joining sites, writing books, you know, making videos, whatever it is, to kind of broaden that the horizons of those experiences. And so mm -hmm. you learn new skills to do that. You improve, you do your self-improvement in that way. But, and I think that's probably what Boo was talking about when he's talking about diversification and widening your uh, your experiences mm -hmm. rather than necessarily, necessarily going up. It, it, there's a lot more, or at least in to, speaking as, as, as a, one of the younger, gen, not, not like a, 
speaking of someone in his 20s like i haven't had a ton of time to try the the diversification thing but like it, it does create a lot of good opportunity to find happiness in areas that you never would expect because if you're just focusing on one thing you know you would have never given it a try before um like a few years ago would have i a few years ago never in in my life would i have thought i'd i'd uh, i'd have been reaching out to people and making contacts and and ending up getting invited by Steve to come something like this and, and meeting strange, <laughs> strange and interesting people all over the place, just just from reaching out to someone and saying, "Hey, I've got a book. You want to talk about it?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't even know a world like that was out there, and 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 now my view's been broadened a lot, and 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 that's still in a small area because books are, books and literature and stuff is still a fairly specific part of life for a lot of people. Um, it's still fairly narrow. There's there, there's still so much more broadening that you can do. Um, I don't think I had a specific point there. You just, you just made me think think a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I work a lot in uh, career advice and life planning and that kind of stuff. Working a lot of education as I do, and I often tell my own story, which was when I was you know pre twenty eight to twenty nine. But I would say you know. When I was a male who really was about as useful to the world as, as a flat pancake, otherwise <laughs> didn't know what you wanted to do. But I, I up to that point, I could have told you pretty clearly what I thought my skill set was, or what I could, or what I could not do, rather than projecting that the other way and saying what I could do. And one of the things that I had said to myself, you know, a very short list of things that I definitely couldn't do, and one of them was teaching. And I was forced into a situation where I was had no other choice but to earn a living by going in and trying teaching. And literally from the moment I went and put myself in that position, I went, I actually completely have the skill set for this. But before that, all you can see were the negative facets of my personality or what your thought were the negative aspects of that job or otherwise that, that meant you couldn't do it. But actually, practically, I could do it and actually found it was quite good at it. So I often say that, say that to people as well. We often have a very poor perspective of who we are. Often other people in the room will have much better perspective. So it's only by pushing yourself into those areas outside of stagnation that you, you ever find and explore things about yourself. But you know, mm -hmm. I think that's something that Western culture especially seems to be very fascinated by is this kind of personal growth or, you know, trying to find hidden talents or whatever it is. And, and there's good versions of that and there's bad versions of that. There, there's the healthy, you're trying to explore, you're trying to learn, and then there's the unhealthy, you're burning yourself out, you're constantly burning the midnight oil, you're hurting yourself from putting in too many hours into things and, and, and never having enough. Um, you, you, gotta, you gotta figure out how to, and I, I don't care which culture you're coming from, you gotta figure out how to have a healthy balance in, in the goals mm -hmm. that you're pursuing. Mm -hmm. You do. And you know, it's the point that Chris made, uh, I think we learn or we grow the most in those moments where we are unsure of ourselves that, you know, that outside of our like comfort box. Right. And you like step into, you step out of it and you're like, Oh my God, what am I do? And sometimes when you're just thrown into the fire, you realize like, you know what, I can do this. I never thought it could, but you figure it out. Right. It's like either you, you, you either swim or you you sink or you swim. Right. So, um, sometimes we just, we grow the most in those moments, but anyways, I wish I could stay. This has been fun, oh. but I got to get ready for a rave. <laughs> I'm going to miss you and your Pokemon, Dolores. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'll post pictures of, of, of the Pokemons on, uh, yes. Hey Stewie. I'll put, I'll post it there. Awesome. Maybe I'll catch some tonight while I'm at the rave. So. <laughs> <laughs>
Spider Lord. As many strange stones you can get. It's been fun. It's been Have real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. <laughs> Bye. 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 I can like find where my mouse is. Oh, there it is. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, Aaron, oh. Aaron had a comment. Uh, for every person who knows about this kind of community, there are uh, probably three who don't, which is true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can even think before I really get heavily involved in watching. I sort of knew there was one or two people. You know, some people might like Alan would have come up every now and again, just in general, even when I wasn't actively looking for book content, he would have come up every now and again. I went, oh, that guy's seems entertaining <laughs> yeah. or otherwise but uh but nobody else and it's only when you kind of start to go down the rabbit hole that youtube or, or those kind of algorithms go actually oh you like this here are another hundred other people More. you know and then mm -hmm. you realize that there's just this whole community in there um to explore and kind of yeah I mean, dig in where did that come from booktube is wow. like ever expanding it's always cool mm -hmm. Uh, images have been in Asia for a while now. There is so much pressure on young people to form uh, from parents and their expectations. The West, you would think, has moved away from that, but there's still a hustle, hustle culture, a different form of pressure. Yeah, I was working with a young, a young man recently. He actually came to work for me as well. I taught him and then he went away, got a first class honors degree and in biomedical sciences, came back and he was doing some work for me teaching. And I said, so what's your plan? You, you can make a career of this. You can work in a lab. And he says, no, I'm going back to do medicine. And I said, no, I didn't know you wanted to be a doctor. And he says, well, I'm not really sure I do, but my parents moved and emigrated here to give me the best opportunities in education. And I feel I owe it to them to at least try and do it so that he can achieve that for them. And I kind of thought like for such a vocational career uh, that your original drive comes from some sort of familial obligation. Uh, or otherwise and, and and i do understand but i also thought like there's such a cultural difference from many other people that that uh, that i would know and grew up around but very interesting and that situation you described is definitely a very difficult one to to manage because like if, if your parents sacrificed a lot to get you there and, and and help you make more of your life than they did you're, you're definitely and, and and i'm not trying to say either direction is right. Some, mm -hmm. some parents will have the right idea. Some parents won't have the right idea. It's going to be different for every unique situation, but, but regardless, you, you would feel a lot of pressure and, 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 uh, and, and have a hard time, uh, at least justifying to them, not going with what they recommend when they did those so many sacrifices for you. I'm probably the walking stereotype of this. My mom was a doctor. Guess what me and my sister became? You know, I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> and that's, a, that's what happens in South Asian. Yeah, not a doctor, right? <laughs> but, and uh, that's what that's literally what happens in South Asian or like, you know, yeah. Indian families. It's like your parents, if they're going to be engineers or doctors, guess what? You know, and, and, and my mom was really cool about it. She did subtle ways of, you know, course. And now I recognize that as a as young kid because we she used to take us to her hospitals and be like, this is so much fun. And we were like seven <laughs> and five. We were like, yes, this is so much fun. And she was like, you know, she used to discuss cases with us. And I thought, and she's of course presented in such a way that it was like a, like a Sherlock in, you know, game where you have to think of like, if this is wrong or this is going on, what do you think is wrong and so forth. So yeah, I think we were uh, rightfully brainwashed, but it's okay. You know, I don't, I don't think of, I could do anything else better than what I'm doing right now. And my sister's definitely gone after my mother. So she's the brainy one and I'm the black sheep. That's how I like to put it. <laughs> it's fun being the black sheep over here. You know, it's... <laughs> Somebody's going to do it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
PL's here in the yeah, PL's in the chat. Hey, hey, PL. Yeah, Aaron had a comment. Yes, Chris, have heard that a few times. The the immigrant story off, often notes that experience. It is extremely interesting. I think what drives people, uh, and I think males and females are actually very different than actually an awful lot of these approaches. Certainly in in, in Western culture, there's a. I think males tend to find themselves much later, or otherwise that maturity level doesn't come to a lot later. And uh, but kind of life and Western society has got bear belt that basically says at seventeen, eighteen, you should know or should have it figured out, and if you don't, then you're in a bit of a problem mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, which can be a bit it creates some pressure. Uh, Aaron says, not a parent, but like to believe in most cases it comes from a good place, wanting the best. This is a bit tangential, but I always find finding yourself interesting because at least, or at least to me, like speaking as someone that, that, that hopes to, to grow and change his entire life, sounding to me sounds too much like having arrived um, for, for me to, to feel like it, it. Well, I, there are a lot of people that, that really care a lot about finding themselves and it probably means something different to them than, than it does to me, but like. I don't, it, it sounds too much like a state of arrival and of completing your journey to me when I, I don't want my journey to be over while I'm alive. I want to just keep going and, and keep figuring stuff out and keep discovering things. Um, another tangent. <laughs> how, uh, voice how, of far, you. <laughs> how, boo, how far out of your comfort zone has this whole, has writing a book taken you? How, how much out of your comfort zone has this whole experience been for you? Um, a lot. Um, it was, it was very uncomfortable setting a strict schedule for myself every day. And, and like, even though I was working full time, I did everything I could to, to find at least 30 minutes, but I usually tried for an hour and a half every day to write and edit. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's been, uh, it was, it was difficult finding a editor. It was very uncomfortable accepting multiple rounds of feedback and being like, oof, <laughs> good. I, I'm glad to get this feedback because I want to fix it, but it also kind of hurts. Uh, finding a writing group was very difficult. Um, hmm. my, my, my wife has been an absolute angel through all this, but it, it's also very uncomfortable to be like, hey, honey, I know things are, I, I know we're doing okay, but things aren't perfect. I think I would like to pay for an editor if we can make it fit in the budget and then looking at everything and being like, is this an, is is this an investment or is this just an expense? Like trying to think really hard about that stuff. It's, it's uncomfortable reaching out to people that I don't know and saying, would you be interested in reading my book and reviewing it? And it's, and gosh, dang it. I freaking hate the KDP site, the the Kindle direct publishing site right now and trying to figure out how to use that stupid thing. So (laughs) it's, it's been discomfort all over the place. Um, And there have been multiple times where I stopped and was like, maybe I should just find an agent, just throw in the towel in that regard. And and usually after giving myself a little bit of time to cool down, it'll come back to like, no, you've got this far, you pushed yourself this hard, like, you know, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. It's really worth it. And, Hmm. and maybe I'm, maybe I'm waxing a little bit too much of a sermon here, but for anyone who's listening, whatever you're doing, it's worth it. You know, whatever your goal is. And even if you don't hit the goal, just trying and 
doing your best and learning something and growing, it's worth it. So, sorry, you're not looking for a TED talk tonight, but there, there's my. Uh... <laughs> pretty good one, though. That was good. Thanks. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said, even journey outside of destination. I don't even mean journey before destination, because I think actually, if you do a lot of the steps correctly and do it for the right reasons and, and be persistent with it and patient with it, uh, that actually the destination is achievable for sure for an awful lot of people, you know, take your lumps, et cetera, and learn from them. But yeah. And and speaking it. as someone whose father is an entrepreneur, I something I learned from him is that, yeah, that the journey is often more important than the destination. But once you hit the destination, really, it's just a launching point for your next journey. Hmm. In a lot of cases, like he, he is, he started multiple businesses. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them have failed, but like, regardless of what the end point is, it's a nice spot for you to stop and take a breather for a little bit. Now you move off in another direction and try something else, um, which as a kid seemed absolutely exhausting to me. And I, I did not enjoy thinking about life being like that. But as, as an adult, I'm like, I, I think I should have paid a lot more attention to him. He had, he had a few things figured out that I need to need to figure out myself. And here I understand you're about to turn into a pumpkin. So I'll let you, <laughs> let you know for, for anyone uh, wanting to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? That would be uh, on Fantasy Book Critic, at Fantasy Book Crit uh, on Twitter. You can email us at fantasybookcriticblog at gmail.com. You can, you know, bug me on Steve's forums or you can bug me over here. But not, I'm not really not bugging me. You can just always have, uh, say hello. <laughs> I'm, I, I like to think I'm very friendly and uh, would always love to talk more about books. See, see Steve knows me so well. <laughs> no, but here's like the nicest. Like the, that's funny because he's like the nicest person. So, yeah. Bug yeah, him all you want. <laughs> it was really nice meeting you and getting to know you. This yeah. You as well, Boo. Lovely Pleasure. to meet you. Pleasure to be here. Bye, Chris. See you later, Thank you, Sing. Take care. Bye, you. Uh, Aaron had an interesting comment. I'll always remember my 80-year-old grandmother telling me, I don't know who I am. I think it's probably, I mean, I think most people would probably say that. I don't know if we ever really know. We're always evolving and changing and learning and, you know, moving on, doing something. I, I think Aaron's grandma sounds like she admitting that you don't have it figured out is the beginning of having things figured out. Mm. <laughs> I used to look at my parents, I'm sure many other people did, and kind of look at them at a certain age and go, they have all the answers. They must do because, you know, they seem knowledgeable, they seem smart, all of that kind of stuff. And it's only when you realize their age at the same time that you go, like, just finding your way every day and making mistakes and learning from them and, and doing the same things I did probably when I was 12 years old. Uh, it's still, it's still, you just get more used to it maybe as you get older and, and accept the, the process for what it is. Yeah. A, a big part of growing up is, is being comfortable with failure and moving on with it and, uh, and not needing, I mean, it's good to get help, but, but not mm. always needing someone to pick you up and get you going again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. So it, Boo, in your, in your writing journey, what's the most, what's the thing you've learned most about yourself through the whole process? What have you, what's your takeaway, your biggest takeaway about you, about Boo? Um, I need a schedule or I won't get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it doesn't have to be a super specific schedule, but if, if I don't tell myself, if, if I don't tell myself I'm going to do this from this time to this time, then I'm going to struggle being productive. Um, but 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 just giving myself a schedule drastically improves how much I accomplish in a day. So um, that 
and and part of that is is, is a habit and and working on on actually following schedules. But another part of it is just if I know what I'm doing, then I'll get it done. If I don't know what I'm doing, then I'll play way too much Civilization. <laughs> Which Civilization do you play the most? I'm a, I, I play Civ Six. Um, mm-hmm. Civ Civ Five, no, Civ Three was the one that got me into the series. I didn't like Four. Um, I really liked Five. And I'm not going to lie, I bounced off of Civ Six when I first gave it a try, came back a few months later. And once I figured out all the mechanics, I was like, uh, you know what, I, I, I think this is pretty good. I'm, I'm willing to keep mm. going with this. I'm of a certain vintage that fell in love with Civ One. Yeah, not in Populous. Uh, we're very Ooh, much uh, dominated both my time. I, uh, I, I, I think my dad played Civ One. And he's the reason I got into the series because I remember watching him play it growing up. Um, but by by the time I was able to comprehend what he was doing, he was playing Civ three. So, <laughs> that's the reason why that was the first one I ever gave a try. But my memory, Civ Civ four and Civ one were completely the same game, but just with better graphics. You know, you know, you, your mind fills in an awful lot of the blanks. You know, as as advancements and how the, the AI system worked, and you know, uh, the progression system worked. But in your head, it was kind of the same game, you know, that you were playing, which is kind of, you know, kind of speaks to why, you know, going from one to the other one can be a big jump, but also you'll find your comfort level is more, but just finding the mechanics of the new game rather than than it necessarily reinventing the whole the whole theme of the system of the game, you know. Yeah, the 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 hardest part of learning of 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 enjoying anything that complicated, whether it's a game or otherwise, is there's just so much minutiae to figure out that can just feel obnoxious and fiddly and painful. But once you're used to it enough that you don't have to think about it, then you're capable of enjoying the bigger picture. Yeah. But up until you hit that moment, it's like, why am I wasting time on this? Carl, Carl mentioned, I have no idea what those games are. Carl, it's better. You don't. Uh, they, you'll For sink sure. a lot of time into them. Yeah. There was a, a news article about a guy that, that managed to hit 20,000 hours in Civ five a month or so ago and um i'm I'm glad i don't have that kind of addiction (laughs) but that's the kind of game we're talking about yeah Hmm. as i said i think i said last week i've just just about hit six thousand dollars in dota 2 Uh, so i i do completely understand that kind of thing but it it honestly it's a very similar thing it's just the type of game where you constantly evolve and learn you know it, it is it is such a well-designed game that it kind of reinvents itself by the people playing it. You know, it's the kind of that argument we were having about AI earlier on. There's that much creativity that, and I said similarly, that people will continually evolve and learn, and they, they do enough to introduce new heroes, new whatever mechanics or ever to kind of freshen it up every every six months, and that just keeps it going. But for a new player to come in, almost impossible to come in because that small creep of feature creep and you know technique creep. Is just makes the body entry almost impossible. Like nearly everybody else is playing at the stage has been playing for 10, 11 years. And even though I'm completely trash at that game, I can still, if somebody new comes along, there's such a severe disadvantage uh, in terms of knowledge and, and all of that kind of stuff that goes with it. So, but it's fun. I, um, it, it wasn't Dota. I had a friend that tried to get me into StarCraft 2. Uh, a few years back, and he was one of those oh, guys that had been playing for years and years, and and just wanted a human, a, a physical in person human to play with. So yep. he set me up on his account. He told me that I think it was the Terrans, whatever the humans are called, yep. 
That's correct. Um, and for some reason, he put us on a map that was just a ton of islands. So in order to get anywhere, you had to figure <laughs> out how to transport your units by flying. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just stuck on one tiny <laughs> island while he's spreading across the map going, why isn't this guy doing anything? What, what, what are his plans? And I just get swamped in like 20 minutes. And that, that was, that was enough to entirely kill this experience for me. I never went yeah. back. A phenomenally complex game as well. Yeah. Aaron has an interesting comment. There's a lot of negativity amongst the old current older generations about gaming. Still, there are many benefits in skill development. Gaming has definitely hit a point that our like my grandparents never would have possibly imagined when they learned that people are making a living off of streaming games and YouTube mm. and stuff like that. Like, 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 obviously they conceptually understood it, but like on an emotional level, like you could just see that it just doesn't click. That's, which I find really interesting because in my, speaking of someone who's not a huge sport fan, it's not that different from someone playing football, making a living off of football. Um, it's just electronic instead of physical, but it, it, mm -hmm. it's still, you're doing entertainment for a living. Um, but, but Aaron is right that, that there are, well, yeah, yeah. If you if you if you strive to become really good at something, you can you, that involves a skill set. Often, that will involve some form of discipline, which is a good thing to be able to develop and apply to any aspect of your life. Um, yeah, I, I think the great untold thing about gaming is how valuable a social aspect that it, that it brings. I know my my parents totally maligned on the fact that I had gaming as a hobby or, or as an interest, and even when my nephew, you know came along behind them they would constantly bemoan the amount of time or effort that he would spend online playing games and especially but it was only when really when covid hit that that i was able to point out to them that he probably had much better social connections because of gaming than most mm -hmm. people had in normal life when that was taken away from most of the people their whole system felt system of living fell apart when they couldn't engage with their neighbors with their friends with their work colleagues but actually for those of us that gamed quite heavily it was it was work as normal in fact for most of us we had more time to interact and socialize with each other and actually you know i i think about the friends that i have given that still have like phenomenally good friends of mine who are most of them are 20 years my junior actually as it turns out but who have flown over to visit me you know in mm -hmm. big group you know to see to see to see and catch up and do all that thing when i didn't appear for six months to reach out and contact to make sure you're okay we probably know each other better than an awful lot of other people know them within the family because you're in constant contact and you're just checking in with people all the time and very rarely is, is gaming of that level a, a solitary experience the way that the older generation imagined that it is and for me at my age it's very much a communal thing now, now rather than a competition thing or you know an enjoyment thing it's very much i'm getting the enjoyment out of out of being with other people and, and, and being with my friends you know in, in a lot of ways you know that's really cool yeah it is. I, uh, personally I've, I've i haven't found that sort of community thing from any online game for for me my, my gaming community has largely come through ttrpgs like mm -hmm. when i was a when i was a tween a, a big part of my socialization and learning how to interact with other people was through dungeons and dragons and that that just stayed with me throughout my entire life. But Dungeons and Dragons is a phenomenally social game. Like at its core, it's it's a game that doesn't exist with the community. Yeah. You know, so hmm. you have to be social to play it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, I wasn't at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I've I've 
I, I think they got rid of the classification a few years ago, but I've I've uh, I'm, I'm I've got high functioning Aspergers, so like it for for like I I didn't socially click with anyone at all. I I uh, I didn't understand how to read body language. I didn't understand humor at all. But having that kind of in I and and I hated the I I hated sports because like what what a lot of people would because like sport for for people who aren't used to or comfortable with sports culture. Um, sports culture can feel very aggressive, even when people are just being friendly or having fun. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just a very different way of thinking. Um, but 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 RPGs provided the structure that I needed to be able to understand what was going on and to be comfortable enough that I could start figuring out what people meant based on the tone of voice that they used or or hmm. um, or, or or their their body language and stuff. And it, it was also a very uh, open type of environment to be able to ask people what they meant by that or to clarify without them feeling with, without people feeling as awkward because like we, we are playing characters so so people mm -hmm. kind of expect that you're going to need clarification every once in a while it was um um i think it was kind of a genius move on my mom's part to encourage me to do that um because I, I i don't think I, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't be uh be able to hold up a conversation like 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 we're doing right now if it wasn't for for experiences like that I find that I find that fascinating because I would be sort of high functional Asperger's as well. Are you right? And this idea that you can learn behavior like that is something that's often missed in that. And I think it goes back to what I was centered around the person who I thought I was and actually was able to grow and adapt because, I mean, I would say Asperger's gives you a certain skill set to be able to do that as well, if you know what I mean. But actually, you're constantly evolving and being able to do that is something that's like totally fascinating to me. Because I, I, people look at me, and I'm sure they look at you and go, "But how?" Like people that I went to school with go, "I don't recognize you as a person because I've just changed so much from from being school. They they just have no concept of of who I am now. And I would say the same thing. Like who I was 10, 20 years ago is like it may as well be another life because you learn and grow, and all of the, the skills that you didn't have, you now can do. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And and then it also leads to funny little stuff. My uh, my <laughs> wife loves to tease me because she is a very emotive person, and and she enjoys it when people are very expressive with their emotions. And 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 people who are on the spectrum still feel emotion; they just don't always express it. They might find something funny, and they'll just smile even if they think it's hilarious. And she'll be like, "Show me!" <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've got better at that as I've got older, for sure. You know, nearly accentuating things because I know it's for the other person. It's not even for me. Yeah, it, it's something you learn to do. Um, and it's also an endurance that you build up because, like, I, I know when I was younger, I, I just get exhausted. So I, I actually took a nap before this because I was like, talking to people makes me tired. I, I need to cool my brain down before I before I have two hours with strangers. Like, I, I need to make sure I'm prepared for this. I feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's so interesting, but especially because you, you kind of do this regularly or otherwise people assume one thing, but actually don't realize the toll it takes. Like uh, one thing that's got com gets commented to me all the time is the fact that I constantly nod along when somebody's speaking. Mm -hmm. I was totally unaware, but it is also a self-condition to let somebody know that I am listening. You know, it's like my way yeah. of non-verbal communication to let somebody know that that yeah. is an interaction that's happening. So I was like, that's interesting. Do other people Just not do that? <laughs> I do that all the time. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Kind of like an kind of like an acknowledgement of that you're paying attention. Yeah, for sure. I I, I hear you. You get my head waggle. <laughs> Just sit here like doesn't go like that. Yeah, nodding dogs, indeed. <laughs> uh, Aaron commented a lot of research on females on the spectrum suggests uh, learned and mimic behavior is common. It's fascinating. My, my understanding is there's a a lot less research on, or or let, let me rephrase that. Is 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 uh, a lot of researcher are, are researchers are trying to to focus a lot more on on women specifically on the spectrum because a lot of the foundational research in in that area of psychology was mostly with male subjects yes. and hmm. and the spectrum affects women many women very differently. Um, so that's interesting. Hmm. That's interesting. It will never not be fascinating to me because uh, just. You, you live your life and these things happen to you, but then when you realize that other people do it as well, it, it kind of doesn't really, or that only a certain percentage of the world does it the same as you do. I think that that bit kind of goes, right, okay. Because like, I'm sure you're the same. You sort of figure out a lot of this in your own way. You know, you kind of you kind of go, ah, oh, right, okay, so that works or that doesn't work or that person was angry with me when I did that. And you know, that, that kind of thing. thing yeah. that you're doing. And, and then it gets even more complicated when you go, why do people respond differently to the same thing? Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> For sure. Really? Yeah. It, it, it has, it has been nice though, with, uh, with, with accessing wider communities through, through the internet and stuff to be able to learn yeah. that there are, it, it really doesn't matter what kind of person you are. You're going to find at least, a small, a handful of people out there who are, who are maybe even uncomfortably similar to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I say that to my kids all the time because they're getting their 13, 14, they're starting to think about future steps, etc. And they're at the moment they're very worried. Obviously peers at this stage is very important to them. And they're like, I don't like any of your friends. They're all, they're not like me, blah, blah, blah. They kind of go this thing and they're saying, well, what, what happens when I grow up? You know, my, what's going to happen? I says like, you will go to university, all things being well, there will be people like you. You will just find your tribe at some stage. It'll be like very slowly. You will look across the room and realize, ah, that person who I ignored for maybe the first three months actually is the person that that's my tribe. And you know the social norms that go with it, like the popular or the they all disappear at that stage. Mm -hmm. And you're looking for the people that, and you gravitate to the people that are like you. Um, and I certainly find that, and you know good friends for life and some not so good friends because i tend to have terrible uh terrible ability to work in friendships that's my my terrible thing i'm just an awful friend for most of the part especially in real life <laughs> just just the worst uh I'm... because there are long periods where i go i just don't can be bothered with people at all i just don't, i don't really need it and it's a bit of a hassle or you know whatever that is yeah. I'm I'm also going to give you the benefit of the doubt because maintaining friendships as an adult can be miserable. Once once everyone gets their own lives, and especially once kids that are in the true. picture, it's like, do I have time to have friends? I don't know. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, Aaron mentions you do. I found mine in six from college. My still friends over twenty years later. Yeah, that's cool. I'm pretty, I think we're pretty lucky. We have friends that we, do, we don't speak for months sometimes, like at all. And then we'll just out of the blue say, hey, you want to go to dinner? And it's like, we never skip to beat. I mean, it's just, we all understand we have stuff, jobs and lives and kids and everything else. And it's just, just whenever we can make time, it's, we can make time and then we, we cherish it. But other than that, it's, you know, oh. easy going. And if you can't make it or then it's no big deal. 
Yeah. And, and, and in my experience, the friends that you can just hook into again without missing a beat like that are also the friends that you can, or, or, or usually if you can just reconnect with a friend instantly like that, they're, they're also the kind of person that if like, if you really need someone, they're going to be there for you. Yeah. If, if you're in trouble for some reason, like they're, they're willing to drop stuff for you because they mm-hmm. care that much. And, and, yeah. and those are definitely the people you want to keep forever. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But it, it, I, I do worry sometimes, but you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard though to keep up with everything. So not always easy yeah. to make time for everyone and for yourself. <laughs> so, The, uh, the time always flies by, but, uh, <laughs> I look up and we're, you know, over an hour and 40 minutes, but, um, before we go, Chris, will you tell us where the best place to find you is? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel at Minium. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at seven o'clock shadow, the number seven, or you can find me on the page tune forums, uh, over there with lots of things planned over the next, the next while. Yeah. Lots of things going on. And boo, where can people find you and more information about your book? Um, you can find me at booledlowbooks.com. Uh, that's B-O-O-L-U-D-L-O-W.com. Uh, and my Twitter handle, if you want to find me there, is at booledlowbooks. But currently, my Twitter mostly just exists to post links to my blog. So, uh, <laughs> so I guess you could send me a message if you want to. But um, um, yeah, the, the book, The Failed Technomancer, um, it is uh, officially listed as science fiction on Amazon, but I, I describe it as science fantasy, um, dark science fantasy. Uh, if, if you want to read about robots eating people, uh, if you want to read about a, uh, if you want to read about a, you know, genre term space wizard, if you want to read about a technomancer who can't, who can't control these monsters and, 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 uh, and a bunch of them are coming to attack the settlement he lives in. Um, if that sounds interesting to you, um, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to avoid too much spoilery stuff. I, 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 or at least my writing group felt that the, um, the, the twist at the end of the book that leads into book two was, was absolutely heartrending. Um, so hope <laughs> color me intrigued. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try to be careful with my, my word choice because it's easy to, to ruin something by giving the wrong expectations, but like, I, I, I really, I really poured my heart into, to getting you to, to really love these two particular characters and to know that there's something irreconcilable there. And then a, a very critical decision that one makes that, that very strongly affects the under other at the end of the book. Um, I, I really, I, I really hope in a good way, it breaks a lot of hearts. <laughs> um, but but the book will also make you laugh a little bit too. I, I I don't like I don't I don't like writing dark stuff without having something to lighten the mood every once in a while. Otherwise, it just gets too draining. Yeah, and, you need a little bit to mix it up. Yeah, and and if you like it and want to stick around, uh, the the next book is going to be a fantasy book set in a different world. I'll be bouncing between fantasy and sci-fi mm. with the with the projects that I have planned out for the next few years. So, wow, awesome. We'll keep our eyes peeled for that. You have me at heart wrenching. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, you got me. So, what's going for? Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for hanging out, and thanks to Boo and and, uh, and Chris for spending your time just shooting the breeze. So it's always a good time. 
thanks everyone in the chat for interacting with us and it makes the experience so much better when all of you are talking with us and bringing up cool questions and topics and talking about your pet rocks so, <laughs> you know. but uh, everyone have a good friday have a great weekend we'll see you soon take care have a good one.